living on the streets, living at a friend's house. Uh, but I remember, you know, calling my sister up at the time. You know, man, I know I'm not allowed in your house, but uh, I'm hungry. And so she would uh, she would put food in her mailbox. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Encounters with God. I know you're going to be excited today to hear the testimony of Adam Smith. He has uh, just got such a powerful testimony of what Jesus Christ has uh, done in his life. He's certainly a new creation in Christ. And uh, you probably noticed the setting we're in here. We're actually sitting in some barber's chairs. So, uh, so uh, uh, this is a cool atmosphere for us to have this episode. So I just want to thank Adam to the Sorry. podcast today. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we'll just jump right in here, Adam. Sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing, your family life, where you grew up. So started off born in uh, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, very quickly, my, my parents moved to California. Um, my, fault, my biological father committed suicide when I was almost two years of age. Uh, then soon after, my mom married my stepdad. And uh, he was already in his addiction at that time. So that led my mom into her addiction as well. Um, just growing up in that addicted type of life, you know, not knowing the Lord, not going to church or anything like that. I just kind of followed suit uh, sure. with that drug addiction. Yeah. Um, it, it carried me all the way till about 14 years of age when we woke up and there was there was stuff going on around the house. We weren't too sure. I remember one morning there was a couple bullet holes in the house and uh, I don't know if mom and dad owed somebody money, but we got out of California pretty quick. And before we knew it, we landed in Hallsville, Texas. My, my stepdad's parents, my stepdad's stepdad, he was from Minden, Louisiana. And about the year before, him and my, grand, my grandmother, they, uh, they bought a house in Hallsville, so we rented a house actually across the street from them. So at this age, I'm about 15 years old and already been smoking marijuana, drinking, smoking cigarettes, dropping a little bit of pills. And my thought process was we'll leave that behind in California mm. and not bring it, it to Texas. Uh, of course, that wasn't the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if it's in you, it's in you. It doesn't matter where you go. Sure. If that enemy has a hold of your life, he's got a hold of your life. Yes. And so naturally, the drug addiction followed me to Texas. Uh, soon after I got here, I, I started kind of messing around with, with methamphetamines, uh, a little bit of cocaine here and there, there a lot more weed, uh, a lot more Xanax. I went to Pine Tree my sophomore year. And then my stepdad and I, we weren't seeing eye to eye. I had a friend from California that moved to Arkansas the year before. So my junior year, I moved up to Arkansas by myself with, yeah. with my friend. Well, once again, the drug addiction didn't stay in Texas. It carried all the way to Arkansas. And in Arkansas, I started doing a lot of acid, still smoking marijuana, uh, taking some pills here and there. Not so much methamphetamines or cocaine at that time. Mm -hmm. I maybe just wasn't available up there. I don't know. But the main thing was dropping acid and, and drinking every single night and just kind of pursuing that, that alcoholism and that drug addiction. And uh, then I ended up leaving Arkansas and came back to Pine Tree my senior year. And that's when really the drug addiction really took off. I don't know, started doing a lot of meth, uh, started doing drugs with, with my parents. Uh, with your parents? With my parents, oh yeah, okay. yes sir. Uh, yeah, with my parents. Uh, not so much when I was younger, mm -hmm. uh, mainly just with my older brother, just hanging out smoking you know, a joint with him or hitting the bong or whatever, stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, once I came back, right about when I was 17, 18, that's when I started doing some crack cocaine, started smoking mm -hmm. quite a bit of crack and uh, still working though, you know, haven't fully just become homeless yet. Just, you know, just, just doing enough to keep on getting high. And so that, that prolonged for a while. And, and we just kind of, you know, I'd make a paycheck and I owed half of it to the drug dealer. 
and I kept the other half. And so I still stayed with my parents, uh, maybe have, you know, little dumpy apartments from here and there. Just, like I said, just enough to get by to keep on doing my drug addiction. And, mm-hmm. and then at the age of uh, 23, my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the first time I really, really sobered up. And when I say sobered up, probably maybe three months. Before this time in my life, I had a, a couple of run-ins with the law, did a little bit of county. I remember I revocated for my first DWI, my first one. Yeah. I revocated that probation and went to uh, uh, Gray County for, for 60 days. Um, I, re- I remember hearing a preacher coming in there, Brother Chuck, Chuck Robertson. Uh-huh. Brother Chuck, he was awesome. You know, his passion that he had for the Lord and his love he had for us inmates. You could tell he really wanted to make a difference. And so I heard it, but I didn't hear it. Yes. Um, uh, but towards the end of that, I remember I, I got into it with a gang member in Gray, in Gray County. I got into it, and, and the next morning I got jumped from behind. And uh, I remember just getting beat up bad. I mean, just swelled up my face. Eyes were black and blue and red. And, and I remember my mom at this time, she worked at Good Shepherd Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to the hospital. It was that bad. It was like two or three days before I was getting out. And I remember riding the van, you know, shackled up, you know, still bleeding, puffed out, black and blue at this time, at this point. Uh, I remember the whole time, you know, you know, thinking, you know, I just don't want to see my mom. My mom doesn't need to see me like this. I remember when I pulled up to the hospital, the first person I see out there smoking a cigarette was my mom. Wow. And I said, man, I, you know, I, I hope she doesn't see me. Obviously, at this point, I'm not praying or nothing. I don't know Jesus or anything at this point. Right. I, I just have hopes, whatever mm-hmm. that meant. And, and so I, I stepped out of the van. I remember my mom, she took a, a drag off her cigarette. And she looked at me. She took another drag and then realized that it was me. She couldn't tell it was me at first. I was that beat up. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, man, she came into that that hospital room and, you know, just cried and cried, seeing me like that. And and, and still being in, in a, a trusty uniform and shackled up, you know, you can't cry in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to shove that stuff down deep, deep. Yeah. You know, you, no one can see that. No, you that don't show them you're weak. No, sir. Yeah. And, and so I remember, you know, at the age of 18 at this point, it did something to my heart, you know. It really made a hardened heart. You know, I really got, I really got, I don't want to say tough, but just hard and did not care about people's feelings or emotions whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and so we fast forward to my, my daughter being born. It, it was, you know, I remember the C-section. I was the first one to hold my daughter and, and I, I was still coming down at that time. You know, she was three months premature and we had her at, the Children's Hospital in, in uh, Plano. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I, I get there, I get a ride from someone and I'm still coming down, been getting high for weeks, you know, before this point. And all of a sudden, here's my daughter. Hmm. And, and, you know, it, it, it definitely did some t- something to me that day. Sure. You know, it changed me. It, it broke a little something off. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I came back, I asked, I asked the mother of my child, you know, what can I do? She said, well, I want you to quit doing drugs and quit selling them. I want you to get a regular job. I said, okay. Yeah. So I, I came back to Longview, and that's what I did. I rented an apartment, quit, quit getting high for a little while, and just started waiting tables. And they ended up moving back in with me when they got released from the hospital. My daughter was in the incubator for a couple of weeks, and I think they were in the hospital for about a month. Mm-hmm. They moved back, and I think my sobriety lasted maybe two weeks, something like that, and started doing pills again, and doing Xanax and drinking, and obviously it didn't work out. Yeah. So so that ended pretty quick. That uh, self-help stuff never does. It really that doesn't. doesn't quite, that never quite worked for me either. They'll, they'll make you believe it works. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't. Yeah. It, 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 you know, there's always something in our heart that, that's, there's an empty hole in our heart. And, and I think the people of the world are looking for things to fill that emptiness. Yeah. Whether it's drugs, women, men, yeah. Whatever, you know, but, but nothing will ever fully fill your, your heart until you find the Lord Jesus in there. Man. You know, the word tells us that he puts his words on the tablet of our heart. Mm-hmm. And, and until we know him and have that relationship with him, it's always empty in there. 
Yeah, we're running in circles. You're, you're just running in circles, running in the dark. We have eyes and cannot see. We have ears and cannot hear at that point. So after, soon after my daughter was born, uh, I committed my first felony. At this point, I had a few misdemeanors. Uh, committed my first felony, a, a burglary of a building. It was a felony, sure enough. And I went to jail, bonded out. And I remember going to my lawyer's office. And I remember him letting me know because I've, I've revocated two probations for, before, I will be going to prison. I said, whoa, what? Start to get serious now. I said, whoa, you know, prison. He's like, yeah. There. I was like, no, let's get some felony probation. He's like, that's not going to happen. I was going in front of uh, Judge Curry. Yeah. He said, no, Curry's <laughs> not going to give you probation. <laughs> you know, there's, no. it's not going to happen. No. I was like, okay, well, if that's what it is, let's do it. So uh, they ended up, and, and I remember, still a drug addict, still in my addiction. I remember taking a whole bunch of pills right before that morning. I was going to go in front of Curry and sign for my time. And I thought that's all I was going to do. But the, the friend that I was with during the crime, they wanted me to... I guess, release some evidence upon him to convict him as well. Well, I remember Ken going, I kind of remember going and sitting in that jury box and they started asking me these questions and I'm nodding off. You know, th those, mm. those pills are kicking in at this yeah. point. I was, I was planning on going to detox and going to sleep for a couple of days and mm -hmm. before I went to population. And so I'm nodding off and I, and I vaguely remember Curry saying like, what's wrong with you? You know, his deep voice, you know, get him out of my, my courtroom. And so I don't, I barely, barely remember signing for time. And I ended up actually getting 18 months. I thought I was going in for 20 months, but I got 18 months state jail. So very hard headed, still, very much a drug addict, very much uh, think I'm tough, think I'm uh, some, somebody. Okay. And so I remember going there and, and this girl when that- get, When you get in there, it's a different game, isn't it? it it's, it's a lot different than county. You know, there, there's a lot of people there, they're doing time and they want to be left alone. And so when some young knucklehead comes in there, they're not having it. Mm -hmm. And so I went in there in a, a knucklehead and they actually put me in, in high risk because they, they said I insinuated a riot. Me and 16 other guys, which we did. I guess I can say that now that it's all long in the past. But we did. We insinuated a riot. And so they had something for us. They had some get right for us. And so they put us in high risk, took away everything, clothes. We had little jumpsuits. And... They put me in this, this, this room with three other inmates. And this room was a quarter the size of this barbershop, maybe. And there was four bunk beds on the wall and a toilet with a sink. And, and I remember for hours and hours a day just taking an orange out of the, the Johnny sack that they give us for lunch and just bouncing it off the wall. Hmm. And I remember the only book I had was my Bible. I had a Bible, just not because I was going to read it, but because that's the only thing that you can take from county to prison with you. So I had to write everybody's addresses and phone numbers in the front page. So I would have that in prison so I could write home, beg for money, you know. And, and so I remember having that Bible and I remember starting to read it a little bit. Not really because I wanted to, just because I had nothing else to do. Uh, and, and, and so I spent about three months in that high-risk little area of the prison. And I remember the last night we were in there, they, uh, they gassed us and they threw panic gas in there and, and they left us in there for about three hours. And I remember throwing up blood, people having seizures. I mean, it was, it, they, they got to me at that point. You know, I was quiet after that. I wasn't hard headed. I wasn't yelling. I wasn't trying to fight. You know, I, I just did the rest of my time quiet. And I, and I mean, the warden didn't know I was in there the rest of my time. The last four or five months I had, I was, I was quiet. I didn't say nothing. Uh, I remember even at one point, you know, getting out of my dorm and getting baptized, which meant absolutely nothing to me at that point. It just meant I got to get out of the dorm for a day. You know, so, so I went through all that horrible experience, horrible experience. Uh, so actually, when I'm in county, so backtrack just a little bit before I even went to prison the first time, I'm in county. And they made me a trustee, and eventually they made me a, a head trustee. Well, I had a friend come in to county, and when my friend came into county, he was asking me to help pull him out for a trustee. I pulled this individual out for a trustee, and he became a trustee. And so every night, me and another trustee would take the trash out just so we get some fresh air. Sure. Well, this one night, I asked my my friend, my drug acquaintance, if he wants to take the trash out with me. 
So he takes me out. And at this point, I think I've been in Gray County for about four months as a trustee. They're going to keep me there to just do all my time so I didn't have to go down. Mm-hmm. Get my number and be done. So, so we take the trash out and we're coming back in the Sally Port. And, and I see my acquaintance take off running. Hmm. And, and so the jailer, he turns around and, he's like, and he calls us by our names. like, where's the other guy? I was like, I don't know where he's at. He's like, what do you mean? I don't know where he's at. And uh, so he gets on the, the walkie talkie. He said, we got one running. We got one running. And I mean, all these guards just come flying out of the front door. Where's he at? And I'm like, what do y'all want me to do? I'm not running. And they're like, get on the ground, get on the ground. So I get on the ground and they ended up putting me in a, he got away that evening and they put me in segregation. They yeah. thought it had something to do with it. Sure. Uh, and actually our sheriff at the time came in my segregation. He's like, Hey, Smith, if you don't come up and tell us where he's at, we're gonna give you seven years for helping him, for helping him escape. But, yeah. I said, I don't know where he's at. I'd have nothing to do with it. I'm just doing my time. So anyway, so, uh, they find him like the next day walking down, not too far from here, Bill Owens. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. So immediately <clears throat> the next week they sent me off to prison, you know, sent me mm-hmm. to Bradshaw to do my time. And so that's where I'm. Ended up being really hard-headed and getting into that high risk. So that was my first time. So you would think after all of that, you know, I, I learned from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I was out of jail maybe 48 hours. Yeah. 72 hours, you know, two days, four days. Mm-hmm. And got locked right back up for uh, possession, for paraphernalia. Um, so you were out for 48 hours. And something like that. You had possession again? I already had some weed on me. Got caught with some weed on me. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so, uh, and so I, I did a little bit of time accounting, got right back out, did a little time accounting, got right back out, did, you know, just a revolving door back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, you know, those, those four prison sentences, a lot of it's muffled up just cause I did it so much in and out, in and out. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, but what did happen is during all that prison, the first three prison sentences I did, I learned how to cook methamphetamines. You know, so the second time I got out, I started cooking it. Uh, while I was locked up, I learned how to, you know, uh, I don't incriminate myself too much, but I had to do a lot of illegal actions to keep on getting high, to keep on getting that meth, how to sell it, how to weigh it, how to cut it, just all this stuff. So that's what I started doing. I, I became a cook, uh, a cook, and soon after that, I started injecting it, started using needles. And that's a whole it's a natural progression. It, it is. It is. And yeah. it, it's a it's a natural progression completely. You know, that just like we were talking about before this, that enemy, you know, we'll just try this a little oh, bit. Just yeah. one time. It'll, just yeah. one time is all you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, no, no, sir. It wasn't one time for me. It was a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just just the, the animal I turned into to keep that needle in my arm was, you know, it got to the point where. Where my sister, God bless her heart, you know, she would visit me in jail and prison. She would send me money. She just, she just loves her twin brother. But it, it got even to the point where, you know, I was homeless, living on the streets uh, mm. for a little bit. Had a truck, lost that, of course. Living on the streets, living at a friend's house. Uh, but I remember, you know, calling my sister up at the time. You know, man, I know I'm not allowed in your house, but uh, I'm hungry. And so she would, uh, she would put food in her mailbox. You know, and, and I'd, I'd go by and, uh, you know, just, you know, get food out of her mailbox and keep on going. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I couldn't, she couldn't have me in her house anymore. You know, I, I got to that point, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't blame her one bit. She just looking out for her family, you know. Right. right. And, you know, I, I'll remember those times of taking food out of her, uh, her mailbox to, to get to that point in my drug addiction that, you know, I've become such a, a piece of work that mm-hmm. I can't even be around my family anymore. Yeah. I remember one time going to my mom's house. They moved out to Dallas at this point. I drove out there and I'm running from the law at this point. I'm running from the, from the police. No, I got a warrant out. And, uh, I remember driving out to her and I was like, mama, you know, I I used my last $20 in gas to get out. She's like, Adam, I can't help you anymore. I I can't help you. You know, I I just can't do it. You know, here's, here's some gas money to, to leave. And uh, so I took the gas money and I left and I don't, I don't know how much longer it was until I went to jail after that, but it, it wasn't long. Went to prison for the third time and then got out. And then January 1st of 2012, 
I'm in a truck my, my stepdad gave me and I'm driving to Kilgore. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I've been up for, I've been out of prison on this extent for this extent for about two years. And the whole two years, I don't know how I made it out, but I've been getting high, shooting meth, cooking it, stealing for it, selling it, you know, doing everything. And uh, January 24th of 2012, I'm driving to Kilgore and I fall asleep at the wheel going about 85 miles an hour. And I told him my truck, I flip it. Airbags come out and by the grace of God, there's, I'm not even hurt really. Yeah. I'm out of it. I'm completely out of it. You know, I've been high for so long and they arrest me and, and I, I really don't remember the, the booking whatsoever. All I remember is being in detox and kind of come to, and I hit the button and count. I said, this is Smith, what's my charges? And they're like, you're, you're here for a felony. I was like, well, that's my fourth felony. This isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. And I'm still out of it. And so they moved me over to population in Gray County. And I remember February 1st of 2012. I remember laying in my Gray County bunk with, with a sheet over my head. And I remember the last time I cried was when I got beat up and saw my mom at Good Shepherd. Those, those years, those 12 or 14 years. Yeah. So this is 20 years of drug addiction coming all to this point. 20 years of drug addiction, four felony conviction, or three felony convictions about to be a fourth, 16 misdemeanor convictions coming to this point in my life. Not seeing my daughter for, I don't know how long at this point, not even talking to her. Having track marks on my arms, just bruised up, sure. weighing 160 pounds. And I remember crying out to God, you know, actually literally crying again and saying, God, if you are real, if the stories I've heard from other people, the relationships I hear from other people are true, I give you my life. Yeah. It's yours. I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm 33 years of age. If I have any type of life left, I got to give it to you. Mm. And when I say God took my life and completely changed my heart, and it didn't happen like that, you know, it's been work. Sure. You know, and so at this point, I don't gave my life to the Lord. I'm doing Bible studies. I'm, I'm reading the word. I'm getting hungry for the word. And I remember, all right, God, I gave my life to you. We're going to rehab. We ain't going back to prison. I need, I need some rehab. I'm telling you what I need, God. Yeah. You know, I don't need to go to prison. Yeah. I need you to put me in rehab. Uh-huh. And so, so God, uh, I had my first uh, meeting with my court-appointed lawyer. And she comes walking in with a big old cross on her on her, on her ring. I was like, Oh yeah, God, we got this. We're doing rehab. I know it. I'm getting out quick. I'm getting out. I'm going to, and, uh, she walks in and she's like, uh, no, there's not going to be any rehab. There's not going to be any probation. You're going back to prison. So well, where you at God? I don't get my life to you for a whole two weeks now. (laughs) You know, why aren't you showing up? You know, you know how we do it. Part the heavens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, God I, I haven't cussed for two weeks. Yeah, you know, I, I want to. I want you to part that Red Sea. Yeah, and uh, but no, I went back to prison for the fourth time. I went to Bradshaw State Jail for the fourth time, and and I didn't go to a rehab. But what God did, He put me in a Celebrate Recovery dorm there. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I met an awesome volunteer named Paul Schnee, and he really built me up and. And I remember sitting in my first couple of classes, sitting in the back, not wanting to say anything. And I remember listening to these other men talk about their lives and their drug addiction mm-hmm. and realizing that I'm not the only one that's been through this stuff. Sure. I thought this was only my life. Mm-hmm. I thought that I'm the only one that's dealt with stuff such as this. And, and the more I hear other people talking about their testimony, mm-hmm. I start realizing, oh, maybe I'm not alone in this. Yeah. If God can start helping these men, Maybe God can start helping me. And, and so Paul turned me into a character coach and had me start leading these men and, and a fire really started burning inside to help other men, you know, get through their drug addiction and get through their battles yeah. and, and get through everything they're going through. And so this last time in prison, I, I stopped going to church there. Not because I wasn't following God, but I just felt like church wasn't, there was too much of other stuff going on in that church house that sure. I didn't want to be a part of. And so I quit going for months and months. And, this, and I remember this gang member came up to me. He said, Adam, I need to go to church. I was like, man, I, I don't go to church here. He's like, Adam, I see you reading your Bible. 
None of my boys, none of my homies will go to church with me. I, I need you to go to church. And, and this whole time I'm doing prison, uh, in prison, I was like, what am I going to do when I get out? You know, I can't go to my mom's. She's doing good, but I know what I do when I go there. Sure. I can't go to my sister's. That's here in Longview. Yeah. I know what I do when I come here. You know, God, what am I going to do? Yeah. And uh, while I was in prison this last time, they started this thing called DPC credit. And it's called diligent participation credit. And state jail has always been day for day. Every time I've done it since it was, since it was created. Okay. And, okay, so every day. So you get there, the next day they're giving you your release date. It, other than, you know, getting caught with drugs or whooping a guard, that's the day you're going home. It doesn't matter what you do. That's okay. it. Well, the next day, the counselor calls me and said, we can't give you a release date. I said, Am I, do I have another charge pending? Because that's very likely. And she said, no, there's a, there's a new law that's been instated called DPC credit. I was like, well, what is that? And so she goes through all these guidelines for it. I was like, well, what does that mean for me? She was like, well, you're going to get it. I was like, how's that? She's like, you already got your, you've already been through classes here. You've been here so many times. You've taken all these credits. And she said, you're actually the only second person available in Gray County. And you'll be the first person to get it. Hmm. And so that's God working. Yeah. You know, oh, God, you're not letting me out early. But he was. Yeah. You know, like I think I was a sixth person in the state of Texas to actually be to have it to be granted for it and to get out early on my state jail sentence. Mm. Absolutely praise amazing about. Yeah, praise God. You know, yeah. absolutely. You know, He always works in ways that we would never think even possible. Yeah. But He's always working on our behalf. Okay? No matter what, yeah. no matter what we think we're doing, He's always working. Well, you didn't want to go to prison. No. Back to prison, you wanted to go out, but. It, I Even in that, God's hand was involved in the whole process. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, way better than I could have ever thought. Yeah, I, I wanted to go to rehab, but he wanted me to do rehab in prison. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get out on probation. Well, he just wanted me to get out early. Mm -hmm. Well, how about no probation? How about that? How about mm -hmm. I just let you out two months early of your sentence with no probation? Yeah. Let's do that, Adam. Mm -hmm. and, and so so this gang member walks up to me and asks me to go to prison, and I tell him no, he convinces me to go. I said, all right, man, I'll, I'll go with you this one time. And I went to church and I sit down in the chair and there's this man named Stoney Gatewood. And he's been to Bradshaw like five or six times at this point. And he, he gave his life to the Lord the last time he was there. He went to a discipleship program and that was his first night coming back hmm. to tell the inmates about his story. Yeah. And I'm listening to this man talking in the pulpit and God spoke to me. He said, that's where you're going when you get out. You're not going home, you're not going to your mom's, you're not going to your you're going here. Mm. And so after the service, I met my spiritual father, Pastor Emmett, and he, he ran a place called Brother's Keeper in Marshall, Texas. Yes. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, that, that's where I ended up going when I got out. Tell us a little bit about Brother's Keepers. What's, uh, what's that all about? What are they believing or how are they helping people in your situation and other people like you? Yes, sir. So, so Brother's Keeper, Pastor Emmett, his whole thing for Brothers Keeper was there's only one of him and there needs to be more people going to the prisons preaching. So his whole idea was to pull men out of the prison, train them up in his program, in his two-year program, and send them right back into prison to preach. Uh -huh. So he, he closed during COVID. He, uh, uh, there was nobody left in the program and he, and he, made a God, he made a promise with God if there's no one left in the program, he would close it. So after 11 years of doing it, there was no one in the program, so he closed it. In that 11 years, he saw almost 370 men come through there. Yeah. There was five graduates in those 11 years. I was the third one. Wow. Out of us five graduates, three of us are still in ministry. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm not real good on, on percentage or math, Ken, but... It's you a know, very low percentage. Three out of 370, that, I believe that's less than 1%. It is. And, and that Brother's Keeper was harder than any type of prison time I've done. Just because the doors are open, Adam, you know, and that enemy would use it. Mm -hmm. And everyone that walked went back to drugs and went back to jail. Sure. Every single one of them. And, and I would watch this. I would watch these men come in. And, and for the most part, I think their intentions were good. Yeah. But that desire just wasn't there yet. They didn't hit the rock bottom. And every time someone would leave, it just made me fight harder and harder to keep on track. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't perfect. But it just made me just stay on track and just allow God to do what he wanted to do. 
in, in my life and in my heart. And I was so blessed. I, uh, for three months, I was the only person in that program. Everyone left. Yeah. I was the only one there. And Pastor was like, Adam, let me know when you're leaving because I'm closing the doors when you are. I said, Pastor, I ain't going anywhere. Yeah. I'm here for a reason. God sent me here. And but but while I was there, there was I had ETBU professors come do Bible studies with me, mm-hmm. uh, pastors, oil field workers. You know, just God sent all these wonderful men to to for me to pick parts from them to, to receive from. Yeah, sweet. you know, and just just completely show me different different types of men of God. It doesn't have to be this mm-hmm. box. Yeah. You know, God. You know, Adam. There's all types of men of God. You know, just start using helping. You know, pick from these guys what parts you want. Mm-hmm. And allow me to grow that in you. Yeah. And man, them two years, those two years were just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, just the growth and the relationship I, I got back with my daughter and then my family and, you know, be, you know, eventually getting ordained and going back to the prisons. And I, oof, I remember going back to the prison for the first time. Ken. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing the training at first and it was at Telford unit. So are you going back to Bradshaw or? Telford. So, so at first I went back to Telford to do the training okay. and we were in this house and I remember we took a break and I looked out this window and I'm looking at this prison. I said, Oh Lord, I do not want to go back in there. Oh. And God said, no, but I want you to. <laughs> yeah. So we, I did. So I go to Telford unit. I go to Bradshaw, East Texas recovery unit, gurney unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, you know, I love preaching, you know, that's nice. other than cutting hair. That's, you know, that, that's my, that's my thing to do. I love to preach the word of God yeah. and I never feel closer to God than when I'm in a prison preaching. Yeah. You know, just that freedom of being an inmate in there mm-hmm. and then walking in there in my own accord in my own clothes, walking whichever way I want to walk, you know, that freedom that God has shown me just in that. And like I tell the men, every time I go speak to them, Guys, I love preaching to y'all, but I love leaving even more. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Lord has blessed me with that. And, you know, these men that I get to preach to, you know, they, I got street cred because I've been there. That's what I was going to say. They'll listen to you. They might not listen to me. They'll listen to me because, well, yeah. whoa, well, Adam ain't nothing special. If God can do it with him, he can do sure. it with me. Yeah. You know, and it's it's such an awesome blessing to to, to speak the word of God, to bring that light into their darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just, just the, the services we have there are just absolutely amazing. Yeah. You know, grown men, tatted up faces, just tears come, you know, we'll do an altar call and there'll be more men at the altar than sitting down. Mm-hmm. You know, just the Holy Spirit just coming over that place and, and just wrecking people. Yeah. You know, it's just absolutely, I mean, just, it's so tangible and so thick in these rooms and oh my goodness, it's just, it's such a blessing to be, for God to use me to do these things. I'm just so blessed to be a part of it, you know, for him to do it. Do you, do you think that those men there, that there's just a greater hunger because they're at the, de- they're at the bottom, they're at the depths, they're at the end of their rope? God inhabits the broken heart. He does. That's what his word says. Yeah. And there is. Um, I think in churches, big C, church sure. in general, I think people don't want to realize they're brokenhearted or don't want to accept they're brokenhearted. You know, you don't have to be in prison to be locked up. Yeah. You know, you you do not have to be in prison to be locked up. Not at all. Not one bit. And so when I preach at my church, you know, I, I preach the same way whether I'm in prison or at a recovery ministry or at my church. And, I, you know, I get excited, man. God's done a lot in my life, you know. And, you know, we're, we're 11 years later now of sobriety. You know, 11 years of never going back on drugs. You know, 11 years of never taking a drink. 11 years of, of not smoking cigarettes. You know, 11 years of not stealing, of not cooking meth, 11 years and and seeing people that I did drugs with, you know, die and preaching their funerals. Mm-hmm. Man, it breaks my heart. Yeah. And it breaks my heart even more that, you know, God has done this for me. Yes. You know, that I, I can lay in bed with my wife and, and talk about so-and-so passed away today. Or I just saw so-and-so's back in jail. And, and then, that God would show me favor enough in my life to, to take me from all that, mm. but not for me, Ken, yeah. for everyone else around me. Sure. I, sure. I just, I get to be blessed by it for what he's, what he's doing in my life and to others. Mm-hmm. And it just, it blows me away on a daily basis. I wake up in the mornings. All right, God, what are we going to do today? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what's about to happen. 
you know, and God just, let's do this. So when I was in Brothers Keeper, there's a story. I was working at this place called Master Woodcraft in Marshall. The Ponder's Place, or used to be the Ponder's Place. Gene Ponder. Gene Ponder. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. man, I used used to work hand in hand with Kenny Ponder before he passed. Man, I love Kenny. Mm -hmm. But, But so anyway, I remember one night I was working. I started, I was about to start going to school to cut hair. And I was working late shift, like two in the afternoon to 11 at night. And then a graveyard cleaning shift would come in. And I remember this, this uh, lady would ask me all these questions about the Bible. You know, at this point, everyone knows what I'm about and stuff. And so she's asking me all these questions about the Bible. I said, why are you asking me? Your Bible has the exact same answers in it. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I don't have a Bible. I said, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'll bring you one. Yeah. She's like, you don't have to do that. I said, oh, I yes, I do. Yeah. And so that night I left at work at 11 o'clock at night. I drove to Brother's Keeper. I was still living there. I was graduated from there, but I moved downstairs and I'm just standing there. And so I grabbed my Bible, that same Bible I carried from county to prison because I had the addresses in it. I ripped the addresses out and I took that to her. Mm -hmm. And so I'm driving back to drop this Bible off. And it's like one o'clock in the morning. And Ken, I'm going to tell you what, there's been a lot of one o'clock in the morning deliveries in my life. Mm -hmm. But there has never been a one o'clock in the morning delivery for a Bible. And God spoke to me and said, Adam, we've done something. You have heard me. You have followed me. And I'm showing you favor now. And if you can take somebody a Bible at one o'clock in the morning instead of methamphetamines, that means you're working for me now. Something's changed in you. Uh-huh. And man, it was like, boom. You know, yes. the desire to just keep on doing different things. Uh-huh. And from, from that night on, you know, just, I mean, really from when I gave my life to the Lord in, in Gray County, man, there was, there was a change right there. No doubt about it. Sure. But man, just the, the evolution of what God has done in my life and, and the maturity that he has brought me yeah. forth mm-hmm. and, and, and just the love for people. You know, I spent my whole life running from people. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to look anybody in the face. I didn't want to talk to people. I, I wanted to sleep all day and run at night. You know, and now I can't get enough of people, man. I just love people. I want to help people as much as I can. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people out there struggling. Sure. There's a lot of people out there on drugs right now as we talk. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if God can use this video or this testimony as a ray of hope for someone that doesn't have to struggle, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a drug addict anymore, you know, it's well worth what I did, what I went through. Mm-hmm. Those four felonies, the 20 years of drug addiction. Yeah. It's well worth it to... To just help one individual. Yeah. yeah. It's always great. You know, God God doesn't waste anything. God God redeems all of the pain, all of the sin, all of the past. Yes, sir. Anything that we've done, and He uses it for His glory. He does. You know, once we turn and submit to Him. And what would you say to somebody out there who's struggling right now? Struggling with addiction or drugs, alcohol? You don't have to. You don't have to struggle. What, what Jesus has done for me is the exact same thing he'll do for you. He will pull you out of that miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. He will make your life full of light. He will make your heart full of love and he will break those chains of addiction off of your life. Isaiah 10 and 27 says the anointing destroys the yoke and that destroying is not for five minutes. It's not for five years, it's forever. If you truly allow and accept Christ into your heart and allow that anointing on your life, these chains will be broken forever and you do not have to live that life of darkness anymore. God came for salvation and for abundant life. And if you reach out for Christ, you will have that abundant life in him. It won't be easy. Without the Holy Spirit, it's completely impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I pray that anybody watching this video, my name is Adam Smith. I own Smith's Professional Hair Designs. I'm co-pastor at LifePoint Church. If anybody needs help watching this video, find me and we will get you that help. I will help you walk this thing out just like the Lord helped me walk this out. There is no difference between you or I. Your life does not have to be this anymore. We can stop it today. We can stop it this moment and you can move forward into a life that you never dreamed possible. You know, Ken, I, I just wanted to not go back to prison. And now Jesus sends me back to prison. 
I just want that's the way God works, isn't it? Sometimes. I mean, I just not I just didn't want to use drugs anymore. Now he puts me around addicts all the time to help them not do drugs anymore. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a good, healthy relationship. Now he's blessed me with a wife. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about reconciliation. Sure. And how has that played out in your life? You sister wouldn't let you in the house mm-hmm. and put food in the mailbox for you yeah. to pick up. Talk to me about some of the relationships with your daughter, your sister. How has that progressed? Are they accepting the fact that Adam's, man, I don't know what's happened to him, but it's good. Uh, So my sister today, uh, she works at a place called Voyager. She does medical billing and coding. And uh, she asked me to come get a, uh, she had like this big rug in there in a, she asked if we needed it for the church, which, yeah, we did. So I went and got it today. And, you know, she took me through her office, uh, introducing me to everybody. Wow. You know, for her to, for me to see that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that pride, you know, of, of who I've become. Uh. <laughs> you know, there was many years that she didn't want to introduce me. And yeah. I do not blame her. She always loved me. Yes. But that don't mean I need to be around her all the time. Uh-huh. But, you know, she just, she just, pride just overflows with her when I'm around now. Yeah. And there's my, there's my, there's my twin, you know, yeah. he's a pastor, he's a barber. My parents, I lost them this past summer. And uh, I remember when mom got on hospice, uh, the, the hospice nurse said, uh, she said, well, do we need to call in a pastor or a reverend? <laughs> And Mama looked and said, "No, no, no. Yeah. We get, we have my son, you know." And that was just my dad. Same thing. My step dad, stepdad, the same thing. You know, when he went on hospice, are we going to need to call in a reverend or a pastor or anything like that? He's like, "You got the son of God right here. Mm-hmm. You know, this, is, this is God's chosen child right here." So let, let me ask you a little bit about your ministry, yes, sir, that you're doing. So. Through all this process here of growth from Bible studies in jail and brothers keepers, uh, I guess probably just your own individual hunger for the Lord and the Word of God. And so how did that, kind of give us a time frame on that. Uh, uh, What year did this really kind of really start taking off where where you felt equipped by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to really, hey, I've got something to pour out now. You know, I don't, I'm not needing everybody to pour it into me all the time. So when I was a brother's keeper, I felt the calling to become a preacher. So, yeah. all right, Lord. So what year was this? 2013. 2013. Okay. I felt the calling to become, to become a preacher, 2013. So, all right, Lord, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so the next month I found myself at ATBU speaking in front of 400 people. Then in the year of 2014, Paul, the, the uh, volunteer that I met in prison, mm-hmm. he came and got me for about a week and took me on a testimony tour. Sure. And so I gave my testimony, like eight or nine different ministries that one week. Mm-hmm. And there was everything in between two people at one ministry and five or 600 at a ministry and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was all really good. You know, was I really good in it? No. But it was all really good. You know, I was yes. a horrible speaker. Yes. I remember I was so scared in front of the 600 people that I couldn't even move. I remember telling Paul, I, I don't think I can do this. Mm-hmm. He's like, just, it'll be all right. Just get up there. And I did it, but. I think Moses said that. I believe, you know, I just got done reading it next to <laughs> where he said it. Yeah. So I need some help, God. Yeah. It, it's been awesome. So, so 20, that would have been 2014. And then I graduated 2015. I became a pastor. I'm its associate pastor for about almost a year when I graduated in 2015. And then I moved back to Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I was scared to come back here again. Yeah. I, I was praying. I said, God, you know, I'm good. You know, I've been sober all this time, but that's where I do all my messing up. Yeah. So the Lord, he, he sent me to uh, Deuteronomy. And it was God telling Moses, it's time to bring your people back. Yeah. I said, all right, God, yeah. I'll come back. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I'm already at cosmetology at Kilgore to cut hair. So I just moved back and, uh, working a couple jobs and going to another church here and, and wasn't doing a lot of ministry per se until I got into a Bible study and all these men, 
started looking to me for answers. I'm like, I mean, who am I? You know, but you know, when the Lord has a calling on your life, the Lord has a calling on your life and, yeah. and people see that. Yeah. I see that with other people, other men of God. Okay. I need what he's got, mm-hmm. you know? So, so then I met Pastor Tom at LifeBridge and I started going over there and Pastor Tom in 2015 asked me to lead a recovery group called Overcomers Forum. Mm-hmm. And so I prayed about it. I said, oh, there's a lot of recovery groups out there right now. God, why would you have me lead one? And, and Lord spoke to me again. He said, well, where all these groups use me to get sober, I want you to use people's sobriety to understand me. And so the whole perspective of this overcomers recovery group completely changed. So it wasn't about let's find God, let's find God. It's about you're sober. Now we're going to love God and we're going to, we're going to work with God. We're going to watch God change you. And so I did that for three and a half years. Uh, and it was awesome. We saw a lot of people get free. Saw a lot of people relapse. Saw some people die. Saw people go back to prison. You know, it's recovery ministry. During that time, uh, Pastor Emmett and Pastor Tom ordained me. Uh, I became a ordained minister of God. And this whole time, I'm still, you know, going to the prisons, going to Gurney Unit uh, with prior gentleman, you know, Brother Gary Don. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I go to prisons with him. I go to prison with other people. I'm still going to prisons and uh, concentrating on, on the recovery. And then, uh, like I was telling you earlier, COVID, when COVID hit, at this point, we were done with Overcomers for about six months at this point. We, we let it rest after three and a half years. Uh, just kind of, I'm going to church and going to the prisons a little bit. Um, and then COVID hit and churches stopped. Yeah. And so the Lord said, you got to do more, Adam. You, you got to do more. So me and some friends started up a ministry called The Word and Worship on Facebook Live. And we do that on Sunday nights. And then churches opened back up. And so we, we went down to just one Sunday night a month. We did that for a couple months, and I just felt like the Lord was calling me to do that more. So you, were you preaching and they were worshiping? Yeah, it it was. So we were meeting at my old barber shop. Mm-hmm. We are just meeting at my barber, kind of just like this. We set up a table, and I, I'd have a chair, and we'd have a couple of guys that play guitar and sing yeah. out there. And I'd set up my phone on a little handheld device, and we just hit live, and we'd go. And I'll teach for a little bit. They do a song or two. Cool. I'll teach for a little bit. Just, you know, just real spirit led, yeah. just real easy going. Mm-hmm. And, and we did that for quite a while. And then I just felt like the Lord was calling me to do that. And, mm-hmm. I, and I couldn't do both. I couldn't, I couldn't be a leader at LifeBridge like I was and give the time and attention that I needed to, to this ministry. And, and I've learned that, Ken. And, sure. and I know you can agree with me. You know, I, I'll see people get so much on their plate that they're yeah. really just not that useful anymore. You're just so stretched out and you're just trying to get day to day. And so I've, I've learned it's just important to say no that it is to say yes. Yeah. And so I, I asked for Pastor Tom's blessings to leave and do this full time, which of course he did. And then so we did that. We met in my barbershop and just doing the Facebook Live for a while. Uh, then people wanted to start coming. So we rented a little, a little building off Gilmore Road and we did that for... A couple months, it was just one room. We needed child daycare and stuff. So that's when I found LifePoint. Uh, we talked with them about renting out the space for the, the gym here at, at the church and then renting an extra room out for childcare. And we started doing that. We did that for a couple months every Sunday. We would, we would meet here while the gym was still open. Mm-hmm. And I'd be preaching and they'd be doing worship while people were on the upstairs track mm-hmm. and people would stop and watch and listen. Uh-huh. And just a blessing, man. To yeah. People that don't go to church, you know, they just stop. I'm like, whoa. Mm-hmm. You know, some people raise their hand while we're worshiping and stuff. And and so we did that for a while. And uh, I, I felt like the Lord was calling me to to get a, a bigger uh, congregation, so to speak. Sure. Uh, have more people. Around. I thought it was for me to, to pastor. But it was actually God was getting me ready for my parents passing. And he knew I needed more people around me at that time. Mm. And so I met Pastor Brian and uh, and uh, we got we got really close, just friends at first. And then when I really felt the call, I started kind of meeting with some other pastors to see if that might be the fit for me. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't. And then one morning I had a friend from LifePoint call me up and said, hey, your name came up to be co-pastor. So Pastor Brian's going to be calling you today, so just be ready. I said, all right, God, if this is where you want me, let me know. And it's very evident that this is where he wanted me. So, yeah. So it's just been a, it's been an awesome process. Uh, 
you know, just kind of going into that whole pastoral shit, you know, and pastoring, mm-hmm. you know, the congregation here, man, you just talk about some awesome brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Man, it's been wonderful. And, and so now I, I co-pastor here at LifePoint. Uh, I, I lead a ministry at, for Highway 80 Rescue Mission. We meet the second Sunday of the month. Uh, we cook for the guys. We serve the guys. Mm-hmm. And then we have a chapel service after that. Yeah. And I still go to, to prisons and preach. I go to East Texas Recovery Center. I do that once a month. And I go to Bradshaw every other month, teach a class there, run a, run a business, uh, married, you know, just do what we can. You know, whatever God leads me to do. I, I do my best to say no to a lot of stuff, but I sure do enjoy saying yes, Ken. Man, I love blessing people. Yeah. So that's just where we're at right now. The Lord told me during my ministry, he said, Adam, you need to clean up your backyard. And I took that as the drug addiction and, and prison mentality here in sure. Long yeah. So, So we try to mix a lot of that, a lot of outreach, a lot of street ministry, stuff like that. And it's, it's just really important to me that that's where I come from. Sure. Now, the Lord delivered me from that to put me right back in it to help other people come out of it. Right. right. So, Makes perfect sense. Yes, sir. Let's talk a little bit, uh, kind of shift here a little bit of maybe talk about your wife. How did you, you're married now. <laughs> Tell us a little bit how that came about, how God connected y'all together and how God is using y'all both together in ministry and, yes, sir. and uh, helping other uh, married couples. So when I was still living in Marshall, uh, I was working at a restaurant as a waiter. Uh, she was working in Marshall as a teacher, and she came in with a group of teachers. Like I tell everybody, I guess she liked the way I served her pasta because she left her phone number on the receipt. Mm-hmm. So I was actually courting somebody at the time. Okay. And so I called, I called her up that night. I told her, I, her name's Otis I said, Otis I really thank you for leaving your phone number. Uh, but I'm actually, I'm... I'm talking with somebody right now. So as far as a relationship like that, that, that can't happen. But I just want to let you know I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, God bless you. So she came in a couple more times with guys into the restaurant, I guess to make me jealous. You know, women don't do that, but I think she was. She'll deny it. But during that time, I quit seeing her. I, I didn't see her come in for a long time, a month or two. And during that time, that's when the Lord told me to come back to Longview. Well, I moved back to Longview and I quit talking to the, the woman I was courting. I remember, remember one night I was like, hmm, I wonder what that beautiful Puerto Rican woman's doing. And so I called her up and what did you know, she also has moved to Longview about wow. two blocks away from where I was living. Wow. Hmm. So, and just moved. Let's and, explore this then. Yeah. yeah I said, yeah. okay, God, yeah. what are you doing here? So let's find out. So I remember our first, I guess, date you would call it. I stopped by and got some ice cream from Sonic, some, some Sonic Blast or something, and went to her apartment, and we sat on her living room floor. She didn't have furniture yet, and we just sat there and ate ice cream and talked. And, you know, she's, she is my perfect strength where I'm weak, and mm-hmm. I'm her perfect strength where she's weak. Mm-hmm. And people in recovery, I, I don't want to say it never works out, but very seldom does it two ex-addicts getting together work out. Mm-hmm. very seldom and I always strongly tell people against people in addiction getting together and getting married I, I'm not saying it doesn't work I'm saying I've very few times I've seen it work and so my wife's never had a drug addiction in her life you know she's never she's never been against that demon sure so she can she helps me you know she that's her strength and at the same point you know uh where she's weak I can be her strength and it's just you know, the Lord's done just a perfect, perfect pair. You know, she doesn't take any lip from me. And that's what I need. You know, she don't, she don't want to hear it. She, she'll call me out like that. No. You know, the Lord showed me visions of me preaching and her translating, you know, of, you know her mm-hmm. translating Spanish. And awesome. so I know that'll come to fruition as well. Yeah. You know, if he's showing it to me, it's because it's going to happen. It's been a really great combination between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the church here. This is kind of a... <clears throat> Sort of an odd setting for mm-hmm. a church. Yes, sir. Uh, anybody that's lived in East Texas, this was Parkway Gym. Right. Uh, so Pastor Brian's whole thing is, Pastor, Pastor Brian Schober, his whole thing is uh, Solomon's Porch. And in the Bible, Solomon's Porch is where everybody was allowed to come in. It wasn't the temple. Yeah. It, 
it was it was the porch, the covering where everyone was allowed in. So instead of church just being a separate entity in the community, he wanted the church to be part of the community. And so he brought his church in here. So now we have we have a gym. Now it's a viewpoint. Parkway. Ap- so let's, let me yes, stop you right there. Yeah. So the, you have a gym. I know you have a gym. So the gym, is that like, is it like a regular, you have a gym membership? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You, so people that don't even belong to the church could come here and work out. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. So, yeah, most it's just a straight up membership. Mm-hmm. Anybody that wants to be a part of it, come on. Yeah, but we okay. want you here. But, the, you know, the thing about it is it's still owned by a church. So they're... You're going to walk around and you're, you're going to be in the middle of some deadlifts or a bench press and you're going to be some, see someone praying for someone else. You know, it's not yeah. like a normal gym. Right. You know, it's, uh, you're going to be working out and you're going to take your earbuds out and you're going to hear some worship music playing sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to walk by the front desk to check in and you're going to see a Bible study going on in the loft. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so we have the gym, we have a church, we have CrossFit here. Uh, Citadel just moved in here. Uh, we have my barbershop in here, and we have a photographer as well. And, and, and so we just—it's just a big community of people, and it's—it's it's really been a blessing. It's really been awesome. Uh, yes. We're in East Texas, so the transition of it—I don't know if everyone understands the vision. Yes. You know, everyone's used to a church is over here. We go there on Sunday, maybe on a Wednesday night. And the rest of our lives, we live over here. It's like everything is going on every day of the week here. Everything. Because you have every so many different things. Except for the gym. Now, we are closed on Sundays now. Yeah. We're just, just church on Sundays. Bible studies, you know, stuff like that. Groups, but we are clo- the gym is closed on Sundays. But we're open Monday through Saturday. As you're ministering to different drug addicts, mm-hmm. what, what do you see as issues, uh, main issues that they're really struggling with? Lack of stable family. So I preach not rehab, but I preach new hab. So rehabilitation is bringing something back to when it was okay, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you rehabilitate a dresser, for instance. At one point it was good. Over the years it got all messed up. So you rehab it and refurbish it and bring it back to good again. Mm -hmm. A lot of drug addicts such as myself, we were never good. We just weren't. Right. You know, there's no, there's no place to bring me back to. I, I didn't know the Lord back then. I, I wasn't doing okay way back. You know, when I was 12, I started getting high. You know, I, I was. there's no place to bring me back to. So yeah. I preach a new habit, a new way of living. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's I see a lot of that with drug addicts. You know, they're like, well, they're trying to, trying to get me to a place when I was okay, but I've never been okay. You know, you haven't. So now we're going to teach you a new way to live. Yeah. You know, that new way to live is with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that you've learned or you thought, you got to let it go. I know when I, when I came to the Lord, I've literally had to relearn everything. You know, and, and I was so blessed. I had a woman named Susan McKay, and I still go with her to Bradshaw. But when I was at Brothers Keeper, every day I'd get off work. I'd come and miss Susan. She's a licensed counselor, and I'd sit there and talk with her and tell her what, what my mind process, my mindset is. And she was like, nope, that's not right. This is how you need to be thinking. And I mean, hours and hours of processing my life and 20 years of drug addiction. And, and you know, the Lord says we are a new creation. Mm-hmm. And we, to have, be a new creation, you got to live a new life. You know, to change your life, you have to change your life. I think a lot of times with drug addicts, they don't fully want to change their life. God, I'm going to give you this over here, but I'm going to keep this back here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it doesn't work like that. Because right. God wants, if we want all of God, we have to give God everything that we have. Mm-hmm. We can't ask all of God and only give him half of who we are. We've got to give him the whole thing. And yeah. if we give him the whole thing, he'll show us that new life. Yeah. And so that's the main thing I see is people, drug, drug addicts, they don't, they don't necessarily not want to be drug addicts anymore. They really just don't want to live that life anymore. Yeah. You know, they really don't want a new way to live or don't understand it. So I pray that someone like myself can show them a new way to live. I think you know that scripture where a person is kind of, as we were talking about self-help, mm-hmm. they've cleaned themselves up, the evil spirit is left, and the house is swept clean. Mm-hmm. And then scripture says, the spirit goes out and takes seven more, and yeah. the last state of that person is worse than the first state. Yes, sir. And so 
you know, I, I've, you've probably seen that with people that, you know, maybe they have gotten uh, clean for a couple of months sure. or a year or something, and all of a sudden they end up going back and just, I mean, bam, it's like. I think pride has a lot to do with that. I teach, you know, you got to be selfish in your sobriety. I'll see a lot of guys get sober two or three, four months. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sober. Time to go help my homeboy. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. You're not ready for that. You got, it's got to be about you for a little while. You got to allow the Lord to build you up. Yeah. So eventually you can help your homeboy that's still on drugs. Sure. But that takes time. Yeah. You know, that takes a long time. It took me 11, 11 years. And I mean, I'm living a wonderful, blessed life now. But it took a long time to get to this point. It's, you know, I did drugs because it's instantaneously hot. Boom. I want to get high. Here we go. Let's shoot it up. Let's get hot. Feel good. Yeah. Just like that. But with the Lord, it's it's not like that. He he asked for work. You know, he wants me to, to to prove myself and show myself worthy of his blessings. He wants me to draw near to him. Yeah. And then he'll draw near to me. Well, I draw near to him by by reading my Bible, going to church, doing the ministries he's called me to do, staying sober, being the man of God that he wants me to be. And that takes time mm -hmm. and work. And I see a lot of people trying to get off drugs. They don't want to put the time and the work in because they've never really put time or work in. You know, it's always just like that. And if they can't have it just like that, then they go right back to it. And you have to be patient with the Lord. Mm -hmm. You have to be patient with this new life. It just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. What word would you speak to young men who are not, they don't have drug issues, they don't have any issues at all, that as far as alcohol and, and that sort of thing, but there just seem to be wandering, the cares of the world, the things that are pulling them all different ways. Uh, you know, it could be video games sure. that they play for six hours a day. Sure. Yeah, you know. So the young men that, that do know Christ, I would say take him out of your pocket and put him in front of you. Quit putting him on the back burner. Hmm. I'll, I'll get to Jesus after yeah. my video game's over. Yeah. Put him in front first. Prioritize what's important. Don't let this world tell you what's important. Allow Jesus to tell you what's important. And the ones that don't know Christ, I pray that the Lord will send somebody around you that does know Christ and introduce you to him. Because the only life worth living is a life lived for Christ, period. I was thinking that how God works and how God molds our character. And I bet God gives you words for your clients that speak yes, into their lives. And I bet that's a great ministry as well. I've had salvations in that chair. I've had salvations in this chair. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is a captive audience if they want me to finish the haircut. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, and I don't ever push my sure. beliefs on anyone. You know, that, you know, we're never going to lead anyone to Christ by banging our, our Bible over no. their head. Um, what we are going to do is lead people to Christ by our example. And so I'll be the, I, I try to be the best individual that I can be for my clients. Uh -huh. uh, my clients at this point, like I said, I don't even take on new clients. Uh, my clientele is just awesome and they know what I'm about. And I mean, I'll have men in here, you know, just come forward with stuff. And I'll anoint people with oil. I'll lay hands on people. It, it's very few days where there's not tears shed in this barbershop. Mm -hmm. Very few. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I want. You know, the, the barbering is second. Yeah. You know, the people is by far the first. And I remember Pastor, Pastor Brian, my lead pastor, he was, he was like, well, Adam, how are you acclimating to, you know, this congregation? Because like, like you're used to doing prison ministry and, and recovery ministry. Uh, you know, we got engineers, lieutenant students, you know, people, a lot of people that ain't never suffered with. I was like, Pastor, I'm a barber. I've dealt with all kinds of people. You know, sure. I can talk to everybody, you know, and, and it's, it's not a problem anymore. You know, I have judges that come in here. Uh, police officers, firemen, lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got oil field workers, people out of jobs, drug addicts. I get every walk of life that comes in here, man. And, yeah. and they still come back. Cool. You know, and, and I know the Lord is using this space for his glory, his kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as the, the money goes or anything like that, I let the Lord concentrate on all that. I just mm -hmm. concentrate on the individual in my chair. And he told, you know, for, for seek, the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And he told me years ago, he said, Adam, you concentrate on me and I'm going to concentrate on you. Mm 
And that's all I've done in my whole career. And I, I have a blessed career. It's absolutely amazing. I know a lot of people that, uh, whether they're barbers or, or whatever profession that they may be in, they, they feel uh, that they can't speak the Word of God in the environment wherever they're serving. So I would say if an individual wants to share the love of God to somebody else and they're in a place where they feel like they can't do it, one or two things are happening. Either they're in the wrong place or they need to check their heart. That would that, be the only, either you're wrong or where you're at's wrong. One of the two. You need to figure that out because the Word of God is way more important than any bald fade I can cut, any hair I can trim. You know, the, the gospel, you know, it's always got to be about the one that died for us. You know, and however we can display that and, and communicate that, whether it's in between cutting hair or, or making a film or washing a car or taking out trash or whatever the case may be. You know, the Holy Spirit will always guide you into a place where you can speak the Word of God to the individual. Always, no matter where we're at. So if you're having a hard time, and I tell this to a lot of people, if you're having a hard time witnessing, it's because you're making it too much about yourself and not about God. Well, we really appreciate you being on the on the podcast today, Adam. I know that your story, man, it's just a very radical salvation experience. It's been my pleasure yes, to sit down and, and talk with you and discuss the things of the Lord and to see what God's doing in your life, your business and your ministry and with your wife and so forth, your family. So yes, God bless you. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me and Lincoln, it's very nice to meet you. The the man behind that camera, um, you guys are just you guys are doing an awesome thing, filming this. Uh, I pray nothing but blessings on you both, and I thank you for your time as well. Well, thank you, yes, sir. Appreciate thank it. You. Amen. Now, can I get a haircut? <laughs>